श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय बोल भक्त वृंद की जय ओम प्रेम आनंदे मॉर्निंग एवरीवन वेलकम थैंक यू थैंक यू नाइस टू बी हियर इन प्रॉपर्ट विलेज सो वी गोइंग टू स्पेंड अ फ्यू डेज हियर इन नॉर्थ कैरोलिना अबाउट अ वीक आई थिंक here this morning and tonight at uh, Little Chandra and Archie's house, right? Then back here again in the morning and then, what, on to Hillsborough, is it? There were a few days there through, through, through Sunday morning, right? Friday evening, Saturday morning. Saturday evening, Sunday morning. So, try to come if possible. I need your association. <laughs> so, this morning I wanted to speak a little bit about a little bit about Shastra, Revelation, which I like to think of as something that is alive and ongoing. <clears throat> as it should be and um perhaps in that regard it would be useful and interesting to refer to the genesis in a sense of our shastra praman our evidence pramana from shastra that um has been gathered by the goswamis we know shrinivas acharya their student if you will uh said very nicely about them very accurately shastra nana shastra vichara naikali puno saddharma samstapako lokanam hitakaranu tribhuvane manyo sharanyakaro they were um vastly uh, knowledgeable about the revealed sound shastra revelation this is in a general sense of course revelation means that <clears throat> that though the truth or reality is alive and it has the capacity to express itself and um the extent to which it does is the extent to which we can know about it the infinite can make itself known to the finite out of its infiniteness which otherwise might seem impossible for the finite that is to know the the infinite so this is a very um important concept very important to our tradition to bhakti which is a descending path and the start we find it if he wants us to know if reality wants us to know we may know otherwise not and of course then this revelation to a large extent takes the form of uh the upanishads the veda the upanishads these are the original forms as it's thought of of revelation in the indian tradition and in the world these are the original the upanishads are the original in the veda 
original forms of revelation before the great, as it's thought, Western revelation of Christianity and so forth. The Upanishads loomed uh, large in the world and they were philosophized about, reasoned about, theologized about in the form of the sutras of Vyas and represented in the form of the Puranas and so on. We'll take the Gita and place it there with the Upanishads and give it the name Gita Upanishad because it is spoken directly by the Lord as the Vedas and the Upanishads being part of them are thought to have been the breath of the Absolute, Aparusheya, without an author. That's um, something people will hesitate upon uh, hearing to let in, perhaps, to their heart, but then again, nobody does know the author, <laughs> in spite of considerable academic research into the matter, who has authored these texts. We haven't found one yet. And so academia, in one sense, agrees <laughs> with, the, with the tradition and the practitioners that it has no author, hasn't been found. <clears throat> but authored by the breathing means, of course, the God is always breathing, so it's always been around. Godhead has always been around and always will be around. And again, if he wants us to know about us, then we can know. Otherwise not. This is the basic idea of revelation. To take it out of the kind of small way in which it's come to be thought about and which breaks down and makes it irrelevant. An old book on a shelf with laws from times gone by and so on and so forth. <clears throat> that that supersedes, overrides anything that we may come up with in today's world that makes sense and so forth or possibly overrides, not anything, but if anything makes sense, but the scripture says otherwise, that must, what makes sense must be wrong, and the scripture must be wrong. These kind of ideas, uh, that, that, um, uh, this kind of thinking, which um, makes the idea of revelation smaller, makes it more difficult to sell this idea and to um, encourage Persons, people to em- embrace the, um, the bhakti tradition for us to share. That is, we're not really evangelicals, but we do like to share um, what we have. Love, by its very nature, as I've often said, seeks to share itself. And of course, it often finds out that, well, it can't to an extent. Because it requires a sympathetic heart, so to speak. And everyone's heart is not sympathetic, so we can't always share our love for another with others to the extent we might like to. So this is a play of love. It wants to share itself, it has to withdraw. Again, it wants to share itself, and so on. So... We also find these two sides in devotees of outreach and inward um, introspection and keeping to themselves the Ghosti Anandi, the Bhajan Anandi, and so on. These are not one's better than the other um, idea, but just that it speaks about the very nature 
of bhakti. One may appear better than the other. The Gosti Anandi, the one who does outreach, may appear better to us because we're a product of that outreach, so to speak. Um, but the two are not uh, separate from one another either. That outreach comes from reaching within. The more we reach within, the more we can reach out, the more it overflows naturally, and, and so on. And, of course, to tell a story in this regard, to make the point, one of my godbrothers once who uh, became closely associated with Pujapat Sridhar Marsh and heard Sridhar speak about the idea of the Siksha Guru Parampara of Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur that, that um, mentioned the great luminaries in the lineage and was drawn, if you will, in such a way as not to mention everybody in the lineage, which would be difficult, example given uh, of science, where you might name Copernicus, Newton, Einstein, who made huge contributions in scientific thought and changed the way we think about the world. Hmm? Um, in between all of them, there were many bona fide scientists and they made uh, contributions. They carried on the teaching accurately. They made uh, inroads into understanding themselves, but they weren't the huge luminaries. So, But similarly, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur draw a line that mentioned great luminaries, great contributors. That doesn't mean to say that the persons in between them and around them and to the side of them and so forth, as a tree branches out many directions and and uh, bears fruit. Jaitanya Mahaprabhu described the devotees as a metaphorical tree of love of God, Many branches, so some go this way and that way, up and down and sideways, and so the Gaudiya Parampara lineage. It, it's kind of one way to talk about it. It goes in a direct, straight line, straight to you. That's that's a fact. But <laughs> it may go in a roundabout way to to enter your heart. It may come from two sides uh, at at two different times, and so on and so forth. So uh, we cannot limit. Uh, revelation. This is again the Godhead reaching out to us, how he chooses to do so. That is on his terms. It may surprise us. In fact, almost every time that we find I'm in touch with him again in a, in a, in a strong current, it's surprising. Hmm? And it wakes us up and unsettles us and causes us to rethink how we have been applying ourselves and what we've understood and so on and so forth. So at any rate, speaking along these lines, as he as he did, Pujapatrida Marsh, one of my godbrothers associated with him, thought, yes, so he had constructed an altar hmm, with the pictures of the Guru Parampara, and there was uh, Prabhupada and Sridhar Maharaj whom he placed there, and uh, and um, Sarasati Thakur, Bhaktisiddhanta, Gokeshwaras, Babaji Marsh, Bhaktivinod Thakur. So he was thinking about this, and then he thought, Gorkishordas Babaji Marsh, what's his contribution? He was one of the small contributors, he thought. Because what has he written? What was his outreach? What what did he do? Uh, so he took the picture off the altar and thought he would be honoring this, you know, concept. 
I could appreciate it from one point, but Sridhar Maharaj didn't appreciate it at all. <laughs> he was infuriated by, by that, and and so he insisted that that altar should be put back on, that that picture should be put put back on the altar. And then the uh, devotee, nonetheless, asked, and he said, Jai Guru Maharaj, but I was wondering, <coughs> what, what is the contribution of Gorkishore? And then he said in one word, Bhakti Siddhanta, two words, Bhakti Siddhanta, three words, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, four words, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur Prabhupada. <laughs> this was his contribution. So the closeness of that, of course, hmm, to us, Gorkishore's connection with Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur perhaps made it more appropriate. But... Um, it was Bhakti Banod Thakur, the other guru of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsi Thakur, who told him you should take initiation, Diksha. He took Harinam from Bhakti Vinod, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsi Thakur, and was directed by Bhakti Vinod to take Mantra Diksha from Gorkashore Das Babaji Maharaj. And some of you know the story, so on. So the point is, he was a Bhajananandi. He was not a Gostianandi. In fact, Bhakti Vinod Thakur told Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsi Thakur, his Nam disciple, to preach to outreach of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And Gorkashore Das Babaji Maharaj's Diksha Guru told him, don't preach. Too troublesome. Do the bhajan. You have to interact with too many rough people. And Preaching is an un... un uh, what did they say? A uh, thankless thankless task and so forth. So so there's... Uh, this is a Siddha Mahatma speaking like this. And two of them, Bhaktivinoda Thakur and Gorkashore Das Babaji to one disciple with contradictory orders. So sometimes we have to come in, to, in touch with this also and balance this out and and uh, sort out how we shall proceed then if we're in such a situation. Makes us understand, helps us understand the spiritual life is very dynamic. You have to be a thinking person to some extent. Hmm? And to think right, you have to feel right, and I'll get to that. Hmm? Um, <laughs> so, um, at any rate, um, this Gosti Anandi, Bhajan Anandi. Gosti Anandi means again outreach, and Bhajan Anandi means, or uh, what's the other term? Atmanan, Atmananandi, self introspection and uh, internal life without outreach. These, in a sense, they illustrate the two sides of bhakti in the sense that bhakti is love and as I say love likes to share itself and love also finds that sometimes it it can't share itself, it's troublesome, people don't appreciate Hmm? and so if we just you know that fellow what's his name, Tom Cruise on um, (laughs) Oprah Oprah is her name? Oprah show was being interviewed some years ago about his his newfound love, his fiance, who happened to idolize him in her youth. Imagine, you know, how many girls thought Tom Cruise, if I could, you know, have him as my my partner, and then she realized that. And so anyway, he was on the show talking about it, and at one point he jumped up on the couch, <laughs> stood up on the couch, and and said how much he loved her, and you know it was a big thing in the, in the news. Um, has like the guys a little off the, you know, a little on the tilt there. <laughs> These things are to be kept to yourself to some extent, Tom. 
Uh, you don't jump up on the couch on national TV and uh, and so forth. So uh, the the point is that uh, sometimes we find oh we have to draw back and we can't express the fullness of our love. Other people won't appreciate it. Hmm? Once in Bombay, we were doing Harinam Sankirtan in Bombay. Some of you may have been there. And this was at the time of the construction of the Bombay Temple when there was, Prabhupada encountered a lot of difficulty in his outreach. Huge headache there. Some of you know the story and it's recorded in, in some of the um, memories about Prabhupada. At any rate, we were doing Harinam Sankirtan and the people weren't appreciating and Prabhupada said, then you should stop. Hmm? Stop doing the Harinam in the public like this. people don't appreciate. Yeah. We'll come in another door, go another route. So, <clears throat> so sometimes we, 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 we find that as well. <clears throat> so both sides seeks to reach out and, and sometimes it finds it has to, it has to, uh, Go within. Um, so this uh, then this this bhakti. This is what these Goswamis they they try to explain bhakti. They nana shastra vicharana kunipuno sadharma samstapako lokanam hitakarano out of out of outreach, right? Out of love, out of compassion. Lokanam hita karino, They wanted to give this. It it also is mentioned in the Puran and Bhagwat. What Guyam. Before speaking, Sudha Goswami says, "I offer my respect to my Guru Sukadev, who spoke this Purana, Bhagwat Purana. Purana Guyam." The secret guhyam of this Purana, out of karunya. Karuna means compassion. It means not to get anything, not to make any money, not to make any reputation for himself as a knowledgeable speaker, a sadhu, or anything of the sort, but out of compassion to give. So Srinivas says, Lokanam hita karunu tibhuvane manyo sharanya karo. Out of compassion, they, what they did is they gathered from all this revealed sound, this unauthored outreach of the Absolute. Hmm? He reaches out, Krishna, hmm? but he, he also draws back, isn't it? The place where he lives, Goloka, Svetadweep, it is a private island pure and private. Not anybody can go there. Hmm? What is it we find in the descriptions of Brahma in his Sanghita, protected on all sides by tridents and, and this and that and the, the siddhis. And the, so not just anybody can get in. He says at the end there, what? Um, what is he He says, Ati um, Golokam Hmm. Itiam Golokam, what is it? 
He says, Shia Kanta Kanta Parama Purusha Kalpataravo Druma Bhumis Chintamani Vanamai Toyamam Ritam Kataganam Natyam Gamanam Apivamsi Priyasaki. All these things he says, and he concludes what he says. Iti Golokam, this place Golokam, very few people know about this. This is a very secret place. But it bursts forth, nonetheless, in its essence, at its heart. At its heart, where Krishna is seeking to understand Golok itself. The nature of Radha's love for him, that the whole thing is is driven by this bhakti. To understand the bhakti, to taste it in the way that she's tasting. This is then the genesis of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This then is the outreach. Golokar Premadhan Harinam Sankirtan. The form of Krishna remains a little removed, but the name comes forward nonetheless. Brahma offended the form, but Krishna came to him in his name. Brahma offended the form of Krishna in the Brahma Bimohan Lila when he stole all the cowherd boys and calves. What happened? He took birth as Thakur Haridas. He became the Nam Acharya in the form of the name Krishna came to him despite the fact that he offended the form and in a big way. Such that by his example, he's in, in Chaitanya Lila, he's teaching all of us the significance of Namsan Kirtan. So they gathered this from the Shastra, from this outreach in a general sense, the Goswamis of the Absolute, in the form of the Veda. They gathered collected so many texts, so many statements, and out of compassion for others, they put together what we call bhakti shastras. They're really written by the Goswami, the bhakti rasamrita, Sindhu, the um, this um, Gopal Champu, bhakti, the, the Satsandharva, this Brihat um, Bhagavatamrita and so forth. These are all, even slightly thereafter, Chaitanya Charitamrita and so forth. These are all our, we call them the Bhakti Shastras. And if we look at them carefully, we find they're full of references from the Puranas, from Bhagavad in particular, from also the Upanishads and so forth. They're not different from these things. They're made up of these things. Jiva Goswami did a very revolutionary thing. We don't think of it like that uh, because of the times in which we live, perhaps. But at his time, he did a very revolutionary thing under the inspiration of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, under the inspiration of Rupa Goswami. He took the Puranas, which are the afterthought to the Veda and the Upanishads, the Shruti, the Aparusheya, the unauthored, the highest truth as it was thought, the most conclusive form of evidence. And he said, well, we look at it like this. 
that evidence is secondary, and the Puranic evidence is primary. This was a very revolutionary idea. He turned the whole thing around. He stretched it a little. He said, well, here's a statement here that says the Puranas are the fifth Veda. So, he cooperated with the, with the prevailing thought, if you will, of the time to an extent, as one has to. You can't just go and change everybody immediately. You have to understand how people are thinking in a particular time and um, then get them to think a little differently or to extend their thought. Hmm? Shankar... Uh, It's, his idea is kind of a, a, a veiled uh, Buddhism hmm? to bring people back to the Veda after the Buddha. Hmm? He had to talk to them in Buddhistic terms, so to speak. Mayabhadam asasachastram. Yeah, it's like Buddhism, <laughs> very much like Buddhism, and very different. So, Jiva Goswami did this, and he was able to, with the help of the Goswamis, empowered by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, establish our Sampradaya at a time when it, when it apparently didn't exist and give credibility to it, drawing from the text and so forth. But this one thing was very pivotal, hmm? taking the Puranas and giving them precedent. He said, after all, Purana means to complete, so these books complete the Veda. They play it out hmm? more fully. Hmm? The Bhagavatam is said to be the, um, uh, the the essence of the Veda it, in, in the text itself. Um, here, of course, amongst the Puranas, he he centered on on the Bhagavat and he gave his reasoning. All this is in Tattva Sandarbha, hmm? and he said, "This is the hub." Then. Bhagavat, around, around which all this revelation orbits and will be understood in, con, in the context of, in other words, every statement of the Veda, the Upanishads, other Puranas, the Agamas, and so forth, they'll all be understood properly by understanding them in light of the Bhagavatam that they are orbiting around. Hmm? This is the center, this is the hub. If it, if any other scripture contradicts the conclusion of the Bhagavatam, we'll accept the Bhagavatam and we'll understand that it presented that conclusion for a certain reason, for a certain time, for a certain circumstance, and so forth, ultimately to bring them in the direction of the conclusions of the Bhagavatam, indirectly, and in some instances directly. So this is a huge, anyway, task and a huge statement. Hmm? We should understand the spirit of the statement if we are to live, so to speak, in an ongoing conversation with the Absolute, as I like to think of Revelation, it's a conversation. As I said before, it begins with Om, and that means yes. So that's an answer. So what's the question? The question is human life itself. It is a question. It is, we are in question. Do we exist? To what extent do we exist? Why do we exist? What is our purpose? Do we have a purpose? Hmm? 
these are this is what human life constitutes a huge question mark and as i said before it re- is a question of consciousness consciousness is asking the question not matter hmm? we do have material questions how to eat how to sleep how to mate and so forth these questions are prominent in other species where consciousness has not risen to the point, developed to the point that it can think about itself, question about itself. Oh, from the objective world where things are so um, much more, well, so it would appear anyway, more solid <laughs> to the world of the, the subjective realm of consciousness. Oh, now everything is moving and hard to get a hold of, and so forth, and of course, dancing, ultimately. Hmm? And love is alive and moving, so spiritual life is as disconcerting hmm? as, as it is comforting. Just as love is as, just dis, as disconcerting as it, is, as it is comforting. The more we are comfortable, and there's no... There's no um, there are no questions. There are no. There's no. There's no growth. Growth. Growth is painful. Growth is. It means you have to move and so forth. And we're we're stagnating in our spiritual life. We should think about that. It's a it's a culture. Rupa Goswami has described Krishnanu Shilanam Anu Anu. Anushilanam, the verb shilanam, shil means, it means two things. It, it means, it means like active, and it means inactive. It means that bhakti has application with the senses, and it has application, an invisible, internal, emotive side to it. We call bhava, bhavarup, and cheshtarup. Again, we're back to this. It has outreach, so to speak, external form of expression through the senses and has the internal side of it, emotive side. Sancharibhavs, vibhav, and and so on. It has kairup. So, if we want to be part of this... uh, ongoing conversation, culture, and so forth. We, we should think about what happened at the foundation, at the forming of our Sampradaya in terms of this example, what, what Jiva Goswami did. Hmm? Uh, it was very, uh, very revolutionary. In other words, some books were the primary books, the Vedas, the Upanishads, and Amongst the Vaishnavas, well, amongst uh, uh, Shankar, who, who kind of reestablished the Veda in a sense over Buddhism in India, brought people back to the Veda. He commented on, commented on the principal Upanishads, thought to be the oldest. Um, and then you have Ramanuja coming as a Vaishnava and commenting from a Vaishnav perspective, a theistic perspective, in contrast to the monistic perspective of uh, Shankar, his emphasis on Gyan over Bhakti, Ramanuja emphasizing Bhakti over Gyan 
and citing as evidence from revelation. This is theology. It's what it constitutes. Growing the revelation, if you will. Hmm? Milking the revelation, turning it into butter, cream, and ghee, and so on. Um, he, he drew all of his primary arguments from the Upanishads. Look at his commentary on Vedanta Sutra. Then Madhva. Madhva's treatment of Bhagavatam is very minimal. He's drawing also on the Upanishads to establish his bhakti. Siddhanta and Rupa Gosami, Jiva Goswami comes along and says, well, that's all secondary anyway. The Puranas are primary and he gives his reasoning and so forth. And he goes, amongst the Puranas, he makes a good argument. Bhagavatam is the best. And here it is clearly brought out what the Upanishads are actually saying. Krishna's too, Bhagavan Swayam, and, and so on. So this is how we are got here. <laughs> this is a very dynamic thinker, but not just a thinker. We shouldn't think that the ability to do this is academic. Goswamis were academics in a sense. They studied at great length. They didn't just sit down and close their eyes and the pen moved. Hmm? They studied. Jiva Goswami was sent by Nityananda Prabhu to, to Banaris. What is Banaris? Hmm? Banaris is it's, it's a couple things. I mean, it's, it's a place of learning, a seat of learning. Um, the Gyanis are very prominent there. Buddhists are prominent there also. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu passed through there on the way to Vrindavan. We have to pass through, in a sense, this Mayavad to get to Vrindavan. And he dealt with it. He dealt with it in two ways. He dealt with it first by dismissing it. He dismissed it. He did not take the invitation of the sannyasis. He stayed away from them led by Prakashananda Saraswati. He avoided them. In the beginning, like Prabhupada just dismissed this Mayavad. He gave some arguments. At every opportunity, he created opportunity, because you have to get past this Mayavad to get to Bhakti. But in sometimes in, in, in simple ways, and sometimes in powerful, but just emotively powerful ways, <laughs> He would make us think, this isn't a good idea. <laughs> this Mayavad's a bad idea. As far as going into all the details of it at, at, at great length, in some places he did. And where? One good place is in Chaitanya Charitamrita, where this Banaris Leela is being described, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu explains to Prakashananda Saraswati, on his way back. He went through, he ignored them, so to speak, went to Vrindavan, then enriched set an example. He came back, he stopped in Banaris. There he, there he taught so much knowledge he gave to Sanatana Goswami in a place of learning. Samandagyan he gave. Tattva about bhakti he gave. Hmm? In contrast to the, to the, um, to the gyan of the Mayavads, the, the idea of oneness of jiva and brahman. Hmm? He refuted Prakasananda Saraswati in detail then. So we can, enough. In one sense, we say, with tender faith, then some arguments we may have to ignore a little bit, and on the strength of good association, we'll go on with our bhakti. 
Eventually, though, we may have to address those arguments in greater, greater depth and new arguments as well. So it's important then to acquire someone again. Komal Shraddha, tender faith, is tender because it lacks someone again. It lacks knowledge about bhakti. We're not interested in knowledge for its own sake, but knowledge about bhakti, that's useful, about what we're doing. And what is knowledge about bhakti? Knowledge about bhakti is ruchi for bhakti. That is knowledge about bhakti. That's why I say it's not an academic exercise. Although such um, disciplines and practices and so forth of writing, writing properly, knowing grammar, and uh, studying others' arguments and so forth, Jiva Goswami was sent by Nityananda Prabhu, as I said, to Banaris to study. There he studied at length all the systems of philosophy of the day. Sankhya. Uh, karma... Mimamsa, uh, Mimamsa is this, uh, um, what is it called? Yoga, Yoga Siddhanta, Patanjali and the Sutras, and uh, um, what's the other one? Nyaya, all these things. And Vedanta, and, and certain understandings of Vedanta. And, uh, he must have studied some Buddhism too there. <laughs> People say, why do you study Buddhism? I mean, I don't study, but some people do. There may be a place for that. Hmm? For bhakti's sake. Hmm? To strengthen one's faith. Make, to, 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 to make the tender faith in our, of our heart strong hmm? with Shastra. Hmm? And if we see this Shastra, in, for example, in Vedanta Sutra, the whole second Adhyaya, the whole second chapter is about Sankhya, about yoga, about nyaya, and and other ideas of Vedanta, jnana over bhakti. If we study, for example, Baladevijabhushan's commentary, hmm, and where they fall short. The point here being is that Jiva Goswami and others, Baladevijabhushan amongst them and so forth, they knew what was, these were the current thinking of the times. They were totally up to date with that. And they were prepared then to speak on bhakti in relation to all these things. Hmm? And I can tell you frankly that sankhya, nyaya, even yoga, hmm, and so forth, are not the most prominent philosophies of the day. <laughs> it's important to know them, to understand the Bhagavatam, to understand the arguments that are being made there and the arguments of the Goswamis and so forth. But it's also it's Important to understand this point. Now, there's too many philosophies today <laughs> to go out there and know them all, but there are prominent currents at different times and so forth, and some acquaintance with them who make our our inspiration to share hmm, um, more possible, so to speak. We may share a little further if we can speak to people about bhakti in terms of what they're thinking how they're thinking about it. Again, this is what Shankar did to bring the Vedanta and the Shastra back in after the Buddha had thrown it out. Hmm? What Jiva Goswami has done, this is a very revolutionary thing. In other words, if we have knowledge, and knowledge means ruchi, then this is how the person should, he or she will be conducting themselves in terms of 
outreach. It's not speculation. It's not deviation. It's what the tradition is about. Ruchi, how does Ruchi mean knowledge? Hmm? Because nadanam nadanam nasundarim kovitam ba. He says he doesn't care about knowledge. Kovitam. Or nadanam nadanam nasundarim. You know it? No well, I'm not interested in wealth and in, in, in opposite sex. Uh, I, I'm not interested in um, uh, uh, economic development. Nadanam, nadanam, nasundarim, followers, and so forth. In other words, if we study these words, nadanam, nadanam, nasundarim, kobitam, ba, then the whole range of material existence is included within them. Hmm? Mahaprabhu says, I have no interest in them. What does that mean? This is speaking about Ruchi, this verse from Shikshasana. It means that Ruchi has been defined in terms of its tatastalakshan, its secondary, um, its marginal characteristic as vairagya, detachment. Nadanam, amikichuchaina, no want, no desire. I don't want this, I don't want... This is, this is the world, right? I want is the world. There's another want, he says. Mama janmani janmani bhakti I don't want the world and the God that presides over the world, the Paramatma. I, my, my position is such that I want him out. I want him out of my heart. Some people are trying to have a conversation with the super soul, but some people want to get him out of their heart. Hmm? They don't want to talk to the Paramatma, who doesn't say much anyway. Hmm? He's a witness. And he sanctions. Hmm? This is a moment in the life of the Absolute. Cognizance. Cognizance in eternity. Paramatma. Brahman is another moment existence in eternity, a little cognizance, a little love. Hmm? In Paramatma we have more cognizance and being and a little love. In Bhagwan, we have so much love that he questions his, 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 his existence hmm? and he appears ignorant of the fact that he's God. Hmm? This is the moment we are interested in. This is like as I said, this is the Achilles' heel. You get him when he's down here. <laughs> when when the when the absolute is weak, then you can, you can <laughs> how we can approach there at that that point hmm? if we know what to say. Hmm? What will we say at that point? Jairad hmm? hey. What did Rupa Goswami say? Hmm? Radhe jai jai madhava gokul tarani madhava daite gokul tarani mandala mohite Radhe jai jai madhava daite Adhe, Adhe.
and bearing fruit in the Bhagavatam. The Vedic tree, Bhagavat says, is full of knowledge, so many branches of knowledge. What is this Bhagavat? Is it a branch? No. Is it a fruit? Yes, but more. It's a galitam falam. It's a fallen fruit. It fell from the tree. You don't even have to climb the tree to get it. It's ripe. It fell on the ground and it's splashing. Hmm? This is, Bhagavatam is, is love hmm? really trying to express itself. But you see, there's difficulty. Hmm? <laughs> Not everybody can appreciate the Bhagavatam. What appreciation Rupa Goswami, Jiva Goswami had for Bhagavatam? They start to put it in the front, in the forefront. Hmm? This is the hub around which all this whole conversation orbits. This is what he's really saying. This is the most that has ever been said. Hmm? And then we, we're still struggling to keep keep that in the forefront, the Bhagavatam, in our own lives even. What to speak of, and no matter how many we've sold, <laughs> the Srimad Bhagavatam, or printed, or published, or told other people it's great. So, Ruchi also means knowledge. Rupa Goswami says, Swalpapi Ruchir Evisad Bhakti Tatva Vabodhika. Swalpapi Ruchir. Some Ruchi. Tatva Vabodhika. Tatva Vabodhika. Bodhika Bod Bod Bod. Intelligence. Understanding. The Buddha. Wisdom. Of the Tatva. Of bhakti, hmm? that requires some ruchi. Swalupapi ruchi. Hmm? A little, in other words, it's not an academic exercise. Rupa Jiva Goswami's exercise was, had academics is like, to whatever extent, part of it. Hmm? But without the ruchi, that's why I like to say Vaishnavism is a feeling. You have a feel. Ruchi means, ruchi means feeling. And intelligence is still functioning. Asakti means uh, intelligence is is kind of gone out. Hmm. He thinks in asakti. Oh, did you see that? I saw that tree bending down over there. Hmm. I think it was telling me that Krishna just walked by here, and he he, he must be just around the corner. This is madness. People think, what is he, crazy? Hmm? He, he will read the world like this. Hmm? Intelligence is gone. Hmm? He's attached to Krishna. Attachment is the basis of our identity. Our my is our I. Our desires form our I. When that attachment is fully... Uh, uh, it, 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 when we are attached to the embrace of Krishna, we have another budding then identity as we go, go from sadhana bhakti into bhava bhakti. And it's, intelligence is lost. Of course, as Prabhupada like to say, we may come down from there to talk about it and have to use discrimination, right? Intelligence means the faculty of discrimination. To, to, to speak to others, human life speaks the language of logic 
and the devotee speaks the language of logic and the language of love. And as much as he or she has developed ruchi, then they're starting to become fluent in the language of love. Therefore, Rupa Jiva goes, excuse me, Thakur Bhakti Vinod says, Ruchi Bhakti means Shuddha Bhakti, the Shuddha Bhakta, the perennial pure devotee. <laughs> Term, <laughs> we used to say, oh, he's got the pure devotee disease. <laughs> and it's gone, you know, when we were young. The guy who thought he knew everything and had re- just about realized it all, and uh, he was very quick to dominate the conversation and so proud of himself, full of pratishta. He had the pure devotee disease, <laughs> we used to say. But the term pure devotee, it means like it begins here with ruchi bhakti. There's taste, there's no other desire. Hmm? There's attachment to bhakti, and it manifests in the form of understanding bhakti, and interest in sharing that understanding of bhakti. Hmm? We want to give, Radha is bhakti, we want to give her, but we want to give her in a real way. What she's made out of, what does it mean? Her complexion is this, her eyelashes are this, her hair is that, they're all talking about, Kaviraj Goswami has talked about them on the basis of the tantra, all in terms of emotions. She's Mahabhava, Swarupini. Hmm? So what is the underlying tattva of all of this? This should be approached. This kind of knowledge, this is important. Prabhupada was hammering on us. Oh, 60 books. 60, is it 60? At least 60 books we have written. So it, it, and he wanted to give the siksha. This is again, the emphasis of the siksha guru parampara. We mentioned this earlier. What, what was this in Bhakti Sarasati Thakur's mission? The time was this. Amongst Vaishnavas, Amongst Gaudiya Vaishnavas in particular, but all Vaishnavas, you can find it today even. Go find somebody in, 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 in India with the Ramanuja Tilak. You know the Ramanuja Tilak? Big white, with a red stripe in the middle and so forth. And they ask them what they're about. You don't know what you'll hear. Hmm? But it's very likely you won't hear what Ramanuja taught. Same thing goes with Gaudiya Vaishnavism, especially at the time of Bhakti Siddhanta Bhakti So many people wearing the tilak. What, what did Bhakti Vinotaka say? Kalichela. He's wearing a tilak. She has the beads around her neck. He's wearing a sika. And she's a disciple of Kali only. Kalichela. It means they don't know any Sambandha Gyan, so this snick, 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 as Prabhupada said, it's not getting anywhere. Without some bundagan, without proper knowledge of what you're doing, what it's about, where it goes, what it isn't, hmm? why it's not that, hmm? then progress will be slow, if at all. And there will be so many problems. Therefore, they emphasize siksha because diksha was being given. Here's a diksha. Stamp him, stamp him, and send your money here. Here's the stamp. <laughs> send the money here when you when you when you. Here's the diksha, here's the diksha, here's the diksha, and you support us. With it. So it's a, we're, we're selling the diksha hmm? to make a living. This isn't karunayaha purana guhiham, giving the purana out of compassion, hmm? out of no necessity, but, but, but love's necessity. Hmm? So this was a prominent problem. Therefore, Taku Bhakti Vinod emphasized that diksha without siksha, it's like a seed without water and sun. And then people now, people understand this so poorly that they say, 
So who needs a diksha? Would the siksha, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur emphasized siksha, they grab onto a term siksha guru parampara, and they have no idea the genesis of that, what's that, what, 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 why that emphasis and so forth. What was the time and circumstance that gave rise to that? They throw out the diksha, it's like, hey, water, rain, sun, that's what's important. Who needs a seed? <laughs> well, don't expect anything to fruit from that. Hmm? No. Siksha, diksha, adi. And Vishram Beno Guru Seva. Rupa Goswami. Both things. Siksha, diksha, and Vishram Beno Guru And serve with affection. With faith and affection. Kabiraj Goswami, we'll talk about this uh, later um, in our visit, but has explained between the Siksha and the Diksha Guru, there's, there's a difference in application, in, in function. Hmm? But in terms of the divinity, the backing of divinity, there's no difference. God may cause them to act in different ways, right? Devotees. The fact that they're moving according to the will of Bhagwan, that's what's important. And we have to understand what they're doing in relation to that. Vaishnavarakriyamudra Vignana Bujai. We have to trace the motive of the Vaishnav. Then we can understand his or her activities. So, Shuddha Bhakti, Ruchi, this is the beginning, this is the high stage, this is the, this is, Sharanagati is, is complete in this. Attachment to Bhagawan is coming, you know, an identity that's formed on the basis of that. And here she will enter then into the ocean of emotions in Bhava Bhakti. But in Ruchi, then some discrimination is there. Mahabharata was speaking about discrimination. I don't want this. I want that. Hmm? So to, to do what Rupa Goswami did, which is our task in a sense, requires some ruchi. Yeah, just, and I've seen it. Cause I, I, I've had students who say, I'd like to be like Guru Maharaj, and let's just you know, talk about the scripture in dynamic ways. And I said, stop talking. When I hear what he says, you don't know, you don't have any taste, you don't know what you're talking, you mixed that up, you've got that wrong, and so on and so forth. We want the disciples to know what the Guru says. Some of them, they know what I say. They know what I want to say, also. Now we want them to know what I will say. That's our ideal. Now there's controversy about Prabhupada's books. Right? Some people say they should be edited. In a limited way, I would imagine, they say. Hmm? They were only limited in, in, in a limited way when he was here. Basically, grammatically, they were edited. They weren't edited from a, a substantive, substantive point of view. In other words, no editor had the nerve, like my editors. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> you say, Groomers, you sure you want to say that? It's true, but <laughs> you sure you want to say that here? It could be thought of like this, it could be thought of like that. 
And, you know, some argument follows. And usually the editor wins, so that's good. But Prabhupada didn't have those kind of editors. But Prabhupada also said, my shortcoming is, he wrote to Pujapada Sridhar Maharaj's Godbrother, I have no one to consult with. He also said, my grandchildren are coming, but my children are not coming. Lord Prabhupada was 70 years old, and teenagers, like 20-year-olds, like myself and others in this room, were coming. Hmm? But 50-year-olds who got a head on their shoulders, <laughs> who, thought, who thought about things, have a little wisdom and experience in life, they weren't coming. Now imagine if they would, how they would have related to Prabhupada. I mean, we didn't know anything about the world. <laughs> Prabhupada was our source of knowledge about this world and the next. Hmm? And if we had been 50 and, 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 and so forth and, and, and learned so many things of experience and education and so forth, we might have respectfully consulted in, uh, with Prabhupada in different ways. If you listen to Prabhupada's walks in Bombay, you ever listen to Prabhupada's walk along the beach in Bombay and he's got these elderly Indian gentlemen with him and they're arguing with him and quoting verses and Prabhupada's having himself a great time with them. Hmm? It's a, and we're just like walking along, <laughs> watching the whole thing. <laughs> hmm? So now some of us, Prabhupada's disciples, saying we're a little older, right? Should we, re- should we relate with him like a 20-year-old? Hmm? Or should we, should we relate with him in terms of where we, we, we've come, what we know, what our experience... He would always ask me whenever we went on a walk. Almost every time I went on a walk with Prop and he noticed I was there, he'd say, Hello, Tripramarsh, what are they saying? He'd ask me, because I was always you know, in the field selling books and, and so forth, and so you'd hear what people were saying, and then I'd give some argument, what are they saying this, Prabhupada? And then he'd give some rebuttal and so forth. So, hmm? What are they saying now? What does the world say now? You look at Prabhupada and Prabhupada's emphasis. Let's look. We talked about Jiva Goswami. Let's talk about Bhakti Thakur. Bhakti Thakur talks in this beautiful universal language, right? It seems very open-minded, kind of liberal intellectual. You read the Bhagwat speech and your hairs stand on end. Hmm? And then you read Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur or you read our, our Prabhupada. And sometimes... You don't even want to read that page, maybe, because it may, you think, eh, why did he say it like, like that? Your people are, you know, it happens. Let's be honest about it. Hmm? And if it doesn't happen to you, it happens to other people, and they tell it to you. Does the Prabhupada do something wrong? No. Hmm? Think of the times. Bhaktivinoda Thakur was in a certain time period when the opposition or the, the oppression of the British wasn't seen so much as, a, as oppression. Just to give you one example, Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, we don't mind the British because they let us practice our religion. That's what we want to do anyway. So what's the problem? If they're better organizers, as they say, and better you know, generating economy, and what, we'll let them run and we just do our religion. That was Bhaktivinoda's approach to British oppression. Now, when Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsati Thakur mission began and was going forward, what was happening in India then? Every young man and woman was like 
was enthused by Gandhi and revolution and throw out the British. If Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsitakura said, well, you know, well, we, we don't mind the British, we'll just, you know. He said, we mind the British also. <laughs> he just jumped in with the times. We'll just, the whole, you know, he said, he had some statement like, you know, we've come to conquer the West. In India, there was the spirit of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsitakura. We'll conquer the West. Well, to speak of being oppressed by them, and Gandhi wants to free us from them, we'll conquer them. And we'll have the high court judges wearing tilak. Hmm? You see the difference in the approach? And what is it based on? Based on the difference of the time. You can say, well, they had different mentality, Bhakti Siddhanta and Bhakti. You know, I say their mentality was, what is that? Shuddha Shatla Vishaya Shatma, Prema Suryamsu, Samyabhak. What's that verse? Ruchi Bis. Ruchibis. Yeah. It means bhavas come. Their mind is made of bhava. That's what bhava does. It takes over the mind. It takes over the senses. We are not interested in chitta, vritti, nirodha as a goal, Yoga Sutra. Removing the vrittis in the mind, the waves of, in, the, in the ocean of the mind is making it still. No, we're interested in bhakti, vritti, Udai. Let the bhakti britti awaken as a tsunami <laughs> in the mind. And completely capture me. And, and in this context, they're thinking, conquer the whole Western world. We will send our missionaries in their robes or whatever, without robes. And, and we will dress them in suits. And, and he dressed them in his first missionaries in suits, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. With shaved heads, tilak, and the priest's collar. Hmm? He came to Vrindavan and they were wearing patent leather shoes. And the Vrindavan Vaishnava said, What are these people? What group are they from? Hmm? I like to think of Bhaktivinotakura as the first Western convert to Gaudiya Vaishnavism. You agree? His mind was in the West. Studying Thoreau and Emerson and this one and that one. And it was thought, the West is an authority. They're some kind of an authority. Let them rule over us, it's okay. Maybe they rule better than us. We're just a religious bunch. Hmm? He had a hatred for the Bhagavatam. He was going with Western thought. And then he had to pause and come back. When he met the Bhagavatam in the light of the teachings of Chaitanya Dev. Gaur Sundar, Gaur Krishna. From Gaur Krishna, we can understand Krishna. We, this is which we should do. Sharanagati to Gaur. What is that song? Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu, Jive Doya Kore. Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu. Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Vive Daya Kodi
When Thakur Bhaktivinoda came and said with Chaitanya Charitamrita, this is the distilled and essence of Bhagavatam. All Bhagavatam slokas there, you should know those slokas, what are called out by Krishnadas Kaviraj, who faithfully following the Goswami, the Vrindavan Goswami, so faithfully in his book, studying this, he was converted, Bhaktivinoda Thakur. He's the first Western convert, in a sense, kind of. But he approached the matter of outreach differently than Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur. The times were different. So they were moved then by Bhagavan Gore to act in a different way. And Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur wanted to conquer the British like every Indian. Of course, he had a different idea of how to conquer the British. A more comprehensive idea, if you will, than even uh, uh, Gandhi. So the young Gandhians like Abhay Charan mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Sridhar Maharaj also, they were young Gandhians. They joined Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur. And then, of course, the Thakur sent missionaries to the West and so on and began his outreach. And, and Prabhupada's following in, our Prabhupada in, in the line of that. His outreach was very heavy. It was a questioning of authority, really, in the times in the 60s in America were Questioning authority was the was the idea. He got us to accept himself as an authority by questioning authority, a new authority, replacing the old authority hmm, with a new authority and, and, a, and a, a very different authority. Hmm. This this move of Bhakti Sarasthakura and our Prabhupada was like to say, we're going to get rid of the West, we're going to bring back the you know ancient Vedic times, something like that. We're going to look back. And bring out, bring that, and that's going to be the the old is going to become the new. Hmm? And so a lot of Prabhupada's disciples carry that with them, like we're going to just replace the whole Western world with with uh, the Vedic times and so forth. But you have to understand this thing practically, what Prabhupada was doing and what the time was to think how we will conduct ourselves today in terms of sharing hmm? Hmm. bhakti. Prabhupada was very effective for good reason. And as he very much emphasized again in preaching, very much takes into consideration time, place, circumstance, and so forth. So what do we do now? Well, yeah, people are very much against authority today. That's a fact. Or questioning authority. But they're questioning authority so much hmm, that there practically can't be any authority. <laughs> That's postmodernism. There is no authority in in a sense, huh? it's all subjective, and, and you know, there, there, when Prabhupada's time, there was you know, there was the Camelot of Kennedy, and you know, now you got the, from Kennedy to Gaddafi. You know, people want to get now now how you look at Kennedy, Kennedy in our times he was like great and you know, noble and so forth and. Yeah, authority was challenged, but not like it is today. I mean, it's, you read the newspaper or something, or and you read how they talk about the president. They would never talk about the president like that when I was a kid. They would, never, Mr. President. You know, the things about him that were known weren't to be made public. Now, it's just like, isn't it anything and everything? And, and, and uh, to the point of 
to, to an extreme, to the point of error and, and, and it's unbecoming and so forth. So, so here we are. How are we going to establish authority? <laughs> they really don't want any authority. The guru is an authority. Shastra is an authority. We're just going to go hit him over the head and say, it says in the book, everything is right. The guru is absolute. Don't preach like that. That won't be too useful. Hmm? Don't say, the guru has perfect senses. He wears glasses to test us. (laughs) Don't laugh, it goes on. (laughs) Don't preach like that. Hmm? No. You say, our guru does not rely upon imperfect senses for knowing. No. He or she relies on shabda, on the sound, and on ruchi, for knowing, hmm? in a way that can otherwise be known. By taking the, the sounds of revelation and applying them in such a way as to get feeling for them, to enter into them, and speak about them, and he, he or she has a kind of knowing, and that knowing is evidenced by detachment not wanting anything. Hmm? He or she has a special kind of knowing and feeling. He or she is involved in the heart of the conversation that Revelation is about with the Absolute. Come and hear from her. Come and hear from him. That will be a different experience. Hmm? And he wears glasses because he needs glasses to see you. Something like that. Hmm? This kind of thinking. It, 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 we need gurus with a small halo. They will be big. Hmm? You have to know. You have to know what you're. You know what. How to enter the house. Sometimes you got to go in the back door. Hmm? The knowledge is the same. And and what you'll find is if you if you speak in this way, if you teach in this way, if you understand in this way, there is nothing. I can tell you that is holding back the the fulfillment of every devotee's desire to share the bhakti that they have, which bhakti seeks to do with others, there's nothing holding that back more than this guru fanaticism. Fanaticism about the guru. I mean, it's it's ironic because the one principle that is the foundational to our spiritual life and understanding, the guru, attachment to, adherence to, and so forth, can become the greatest impediment if misunderstood. It's, it's logical. I mean, a thing that can take you the furthest, if misapplied, may take you the furthest in the other direction. So this Guru Tattva we'll be talking about, it's, it's very um, important. And if we lay stress on this in, in a thoughtful way, with insight and realizations, this will endear people to hearing from our authorities. This will bring us close to them, too. I mean, we live in a different time. People are questioned from every possible angle. You can find out anything, even untrue things about people on the Internet. Any piece of information you can find. You can't hide anything. So, these are some thoughts. If we are to do what Jiva Goswami did, for example, in spirit, even in a small way, in terms of forming the Sampradaya, in terms of participating in and sharing the conversation that is revelation with the absolute truth. We have to make 
some time and place adjustments. Prabhupada was a great example of that. Thakur Bhakti Vinod is a great example of that. Hmm? So these are a few things I wanted to say about Guru, hmm? about revelation, about something that's so... I mean, we should be able to think about, talk about, and be interested in things that we think we know everything about in Gaudiya Vaishnavism and still find um, interest in them. This is kind of like, these are real basic um, points, but I try to talk about them in, in a thoughtful thoughtful way. Guru, I mean, guru means in such a big way. To everyone who's ever taught us anything hmm, that helped us, then this is bhakti. We have to show regard. Anyone, they may have, even if they later didn't help us, we'll remember the time that they did, that will be useful for us. Remembering the times that they didn't is only useful as, as, as we'll think they taught us by their example not to do that. Hmm? I've given myself over to, the, to, to Krishna hmm? and uh, how he reciprocates with me and teaches me his ways, uh, are on, uh, they're up to him. Sometimes it may be difficult, sometimes it may be easy. Sometimes he may teach me directly, sometimes indirectly. You get to have this kind of faith. And of course then, in the context of all that, we find our our guru, our gurus, Bande Gurun. In our main book, Chaitanya Charitamrita, it begins with this statement, an obeisance to the plurality of gurus. So guru and a real guru, guru with taste, what a... Uh, of some substance that is also required. General gurus, every guru. Mahaprabhu found the trees and the blades of grass as a guru. But a guru with Mahaprabhu, Kirtan, Anitta, Gita, Vaditra, Madhyam, Manasu, Sena. Samsara Dabha Prabhu Padaya, Prabhu Padaya, Prabhu Padaya, Prabhu Padaya. Prabhu Padaya, Prabhu Padaya, Prabhu Padaya, Prabhu Padaya. So I had mentioned that there was a argument about Prabhupada's books and whether they should be edited and whether they shouldn't be. I'll conclude with my conclusion on that, if you if you like, my opinion. So, should they be edited? Should they not be edited? Some people want to say, at least grammatically, as I say, sub- substantively, Prabhupada didn't have an editor, although he said things which lead us to believe he, he wished he had one like that, who might have said, Prabhupada, if you say that, the Western mind thinks like this, They'll react to it like this. Maybe we should say it in another way. Hmm? I, my experience with Prabhupada was if you if you kept coming back, he'd, he'd listen to you. First he'd try to dismiss you, dismiss you. You kept coming back respectfully and reasonably, then he'd, he would listen. Hmm? I think maybe he's got something to say. Hmm? Of course, we didn't have very much to say. <laughs> but that's not over, so now we have a chance to say something. So with regard to this discussion, for example. I think that really the two sides are on the same side and they don't realize it. They don't realize they're on the same side. Hmm? 
one wants to edit them, one doesn't want to edit them. They want only the original books. Hmm? Let's take their side. First, they want only the original books, just as Prabhupada wrote them. Hmm? With the editing that he allowed when he was here personally, just like that, nothing more. Because every word, right, from the pure devotee's mouth is absolute and perfect, and he chose that particular word, and so forth. Hmm? And the point being, on their side, is that if you should change that word, Prabhupada said, if you change one word, everything could be lost. Then everything could be lost. Hmm? This is their point. This is their faith in Guru. We admire it so much. One time, uh, one of the disciples of Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasri Thakur said that, our opinion is this, that if Gurudev, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasri Thakur, spells a word differently than it's found in Webster's Dictionary, then Webster's Dictionary should be changed. And some of the disciples went, Jai! <laughs> and then another disciple said, yeah, that's a nice sentiment, but I think Gurudev would want us to not make him look in the eyes of others, you know, as if he didn't know how to spell according to the standard of spelling. So it might be more service to bring his spelling in line with the, that might help people understand his teaching because I don't think we're going to get too far in changing Webster's, Webster's Dictionary uh, and, and so on and so forth. Um, so, no, we will, you know. <laughs> then the argument goes on, but the, the Shudamarsh weighed in on this and thought the latter person who spoke had a more deeper idea of what it means to serve. Hmm? Even to offer something back to the Guru, some idea, thinking that whatever insight I have, it's come from you. The inspiration is now coming back. Hmm? Um, you know, the Guru would speak and put knowledge in so many places and he expect, what is that verse? Expect it to come back. He can't remember it all. That's why he has so many disciples to help him remember Krishna. Hmm? So, this is the one side. Of course, now, never mind the fact that the books have been translated into many different languages and they seem to, where the whole thing changes, you know, considerably, much more than the editing of Jayadweta Swami. And it's still working. We find that people in Spanish-speaking countries and German-speaking countries and Russian and Latvian and this one and that one countries are still reading the books and getting bhakti from that. So that does put a little damper on the, on that side and tends to cast it a little bit uh, as, as a fanatical side. The other side then, of course, wants to edit the books, but they don't want to edit them substantively and I don't think they should. They want to edit them there, perhaps grammatically, and maybe to get the idea across of what he's saying. They feel they know what he wanted to say, and it's better said like this, and so forth. That's an argument. It's kind of in the direction of the other fellow who said, you know, I don't think we should change Webster's Dictionary. But um, the argument comes that still the author has written the book some time ago, and you know, now he's gone, and you're going to change his, his book. It, it is what it is. And it, it may have may have been better stated like this or that, but we should, you know, this is how he wrote it, and we don't have much precedent of people changing others, uh, past authors' books 
to make them more current or update them. You know, now there are new rules of grammar or whatever, uh, new ways of thinking about where to put the comma. We should go and put in all the commas. The problem with that, that, that's a problem in itself, in a sense. I don't think it's, one, in one sense, it's not as big of a problem as the ones that don't want to change any word and, and so for the reasons that they have. But both of these sides are on the same side in the sense that they seek to keep Prabhupada's books as the books. Hmm? And that is the problem. And I know that's a strong statement. But if you remember what we were talking about this morning, and the implications of that and so forth are very clearly that there need to be new books by people who have ruchi and knowledge and feeling and understand not only what he said, what he wanted to say, but what he will say. That is the idea of Guru Parampara. We don't, if we understand Guru Parampara and we're really connected with it, we don't have to wonder what Prabhupada would have said in this instance. Guru Parampara answers that. That is how the Guru, in a functional way, in this world, lives on. It's not that he doesn't live on, but he lives in a certain capacity. A fellow wrote me and said, just recently, I haven't answered him yet, but I'll answer it right now. He said, I wanted to ask you a simple question. You can just give a simple answer. Is Prabhupada in his deity form? We, there were uh, Murtis, forms, deities of Prabhupada that were formed, I, I think, in his presence, isn't it, in the Krishna Balaram temple? Hmm? Prabhupada had a Murti of himself crafted in one of Bhakti Siddhanta, and I think that they put on the altar of Gornatai at the Krishna Balaram temple. So the idea, of course, of the Murti, the deity, is that, well, Krishna's there, right? So he said, is Prabhupada there in the form of his Murti? And he, he, he's gonna, he knows, well, Maharaj has to say yes. And so, then, can't he give initiation if he's really there? <laughs> Trapped, you got, we got you, you know. It's a, I guess that's what he wanted to do, I don't know. Hmm? But yes, he's there, but no, he can't. <laughs> no, he can't. Hmm? And that is the, the rule of the parampara, that is the meaning of the parampara. He's there in a certain capacity. He's there in the capacity of a purva acharya. And there's a difference between a purva acharya and a present acharya. And if there's no difference, why do we have the term purva acharya, a previous acharya, who has come, who has spoken according to time and circumstance, written and so forth, hmm? and is withdrawn? Hmm? He's withdrawn in such a way that he remains present and worshipable in terms of his perfected. Sadaka Deha, which is eternal. He has his Siddha Deha also. In Christianly, this is his Sadaka Deha in a sense. In the Gorlila, we worship it. We can, he, we can get inspiration from him. He can talk to us. It's a fact. Hmm? That's true. Hmm? But most of the talking, he leaves to the successors. Hmm? That's the whole idea of the Parampara. Most of the talking, in detail, he leaves to them. He's gone to the Nitya Lila. So we ask him questions about the world here, now, and preaching. Hmm? Does he have to come down and think, well, what are they saying, Swamp Tripari, Das? What are they saying? 
okay, I was just with Krishna here, now I got, what are they saying? What are the arguments? I mean, it doesn't quite work like that. So, no, the answer is in the Guru Parampara. Now, this solves so many problems. It solves all the problems, really. Hmm? Prabhupada and Prabhupada's books are worshipped forever, and they're, they're read and, and relished, but they're read and relished with the understanding that they were written in a certain time, a certain circumstance, and so certain things will, will be spoken in a certain way, and they, will, they were effective entirely then, you know, to a large extent, and so we see the potency of Prabhupada to speak according to time and circumstance and be so relevant and so forth that to cause the kind of the Hare Krishna explosion, if you will, as I agree with put it, that, that, he, that he did. Hmm. This is the eternal, you know, the, like glorification. But then to make those books which have time and circumstance statements in them, the statements that will apply to all times and all circumstances, some of them do, hmm. some of the statements, obviously, but some of them have some relativity in there, relative to the time and circumstance. So we try to apply them in all times and all circumstances. Then some people, at least, a lot of people, will think that our idea of revelation and Guru Parampara is a really dated idea. And it really, has, really should be put on the shelf to, um, to collect dust. Uh, it doesn't have any relevancy and currency in our times. So, no, this should be carried on. And it should be carried on, this outreach, the sharing of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And it should take the form of books as well, written books. Hmm? All with the, with the full understanding and acknowledgement that, it, that such is possible only by the grace of the previous Acharya. He and, and previous to him, uh, somebody told me, or told a student of mine that that they thought that this was a sannyasi that Prabhupada was more available in another institution, which I used to be a member of, than in institutions like mine, which were you know independent. He's more available there, hmm? more accessible, because he's in the center. Hmm? And every other guru is relativized, you know, accordingly. And so, therefore, he's more accessible. I didn't agree with that. Hmm? That was a very static kind of idea. That's a problematic idea. He will be, he may not be more present in me than anywhere else. I don't say that for sure. But he is more present in his, in his, in his, in his successor. Than in trying to keep him as the successor, kind of hang on to that, not, not let it go of that. It just won't go for generations. Hmm? So we and I and I reflected on that's like saying, this is my reply. That's like saying, you know, what it's like saying, it's like saying Bhakti Siddhanta was more available in Gaudiamath than in Prabhupada's independent institution. Is there any difference? You understand? A fellow told me, a prominent sannyasi in Gaudiamat, told me, who was a disciple of Prabhupada's godbrother, one of Prabhupada's godbrothers, and became an acharya, he said, your guru, I mean, this was unbelievable, this guy just said this to me, and I was just meeting him, talking, your guru kept Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur in the closet. 
Prabhupada, in other words, wasn't didn't tell us to distribute Bhakti Siddhanta's books everywhere, and um, you know, and and in Gaudiya Mahathya, everybody was kind of like, well, it was all split up, so it was all different. But in the official Gaudiya Math, one of the ones that thought they were the official Gaudiya Math, they had this kind of system, kind of like um, Prabhupada's ISKCON today, kind of like where mm-hmm. other every guru is kind of relative, and Bhakti Siddhanta is kind of like. You know the real guru in in, in, a, in, a, in a sense. We think that that Prabhupada put Bhakti Siddhanta Sosyatagara on every altar and every home of every devotee, and and we think we got Bhakti Siddhanta Sosyatagara more than anybody, hmm? and Bhakti Vinod and the whole group. This is how we felt, right? Contact with the real guru means contact with the previous gurus and the whole parampara. So that's the that's the same same principle. No, we should look for a living representation and try to serve and help. Hmm? Like Sridhar said, if, you, if it's a difficult task, but after the guru passes, but what we should do is we should become a guru ourselves if you're qualified, if you can contact your guru in the ways that he's contactable, so to speak, as we mentioned. Or you should serve someone who has. Or, third option, get out of the way. <laughs> Let the let the train go forward. I see Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada Ki Jai. Bhakti Rakshidar Dev Goswami Maharaj Ki Jai. Bhakti Siddhanta Sarchitakur Prabhupada Ki Jai. Chi Gauri Vaishnava Guru Parampara Ki Jai. Gaur Nitananda Prabhu Ki Jai. Sisi Radha Krishna Ki Jai. Gaur Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai. Upremananda. Anyone want to ask any question? Yeah. Maharaj, um, I, I have a comment on the question. I'm thinking of the third option to the conflict between devotees who were Prabhupada's books. And that option would be if the devotees could have cooperated, they would have saved a million dollars of Prabhupada's money to print Prabhupada's books instead of arguing about it. That sounds good. And, and other books. And other books also. DBT be allowed to, but that's another discussion. But uh, I'm, I'm trying to understand what is the function of Diksha Guru. You mentioned that Diksha is giving seed. On one side, we hear devotees just giving out Diksha on behalf of Prabhupada, even this kind of devotees, and uh, I'm not qualified, but Prabhupada's qualified, and giving you money, giving out Diksha like water. On the other side, devotees are saying that Diksha has to be a Uttamadikari. What is our Siddhanta? When you have a seed, and when you water the seed and you give it sunlight, it grows, right? And when it grows, then at a certain point it turns into a tree and it blossoms and it produces fruit and it has seeds in it. Hmm? So as much as your seed that's been given to you is developing fruit, as much as you have seeds then to give out, Right? So, that means that Diksha is not given out by just anybody. Hmm? Whose own seed is bearing fruit? It has seeds. Now that person has seeds to give. So this implies that Diksha requires some realization. That's why otherwise, we just pick out anybody give Diksha on behalf of Prabhupada. It's just a mantra, I just take it from a book. 
and give it out, or I received it, pass it along, and so forth. How can we water this honored, time-honored idea down to something like that? Why get it from anybody then? If the person is just passing on something that he got and doesn't know what it's about, hasn't realized it, and so forth, then um, how much should they give it to you? They don't even understand it, and um, you might as well have just got it from a book. Nowadays, you can. You could say previously it was in, it was in books, but the books were on, on leaves, and they were kept by certain people. You had to go to them to get it. But now we got books are printed, and, and on the Internet, you can just go grab it everywhere. But this is is against the whole principle of how this knowledge is passed on. It's it's a different kind of knowledge. It's a knowledge that, that can't be used on our agenda for our purposes, but a knowledge that has an agenda of its own, which expects to include us on its agenda. So this is different from academic way of learning and so forth. As I say, acquiring knowledge for your own agenda. We find out this knowledge is alive, it has an agenda, it wants to include me in its agenda. So this is very different than the way we to get, get ordinary knowledge. We cannot take the special knowledge. The knowledge, spiritual knowledge is supposed to be different knowledge. The knowledge of the Vedanta is a different kind of knowledge that you cannot get. The premise is you cannot get it in an ordinary way. There are other ways to get knowledge. Those ways will not work in this realm. That is the whole idea of revelation as we began. There's a special kind of knowledge. It can only come in a special way. It's not knowledge about the objective world as much as it's knowledge about the subjective world, about consciousness. This is what the scriptures are ultimately about. And, and, and incidentally, this is the whole problem with trying to understand consciousness in neuroscience, for example, and, and philosophy of mind. It's the whole problem. <laughs> You're trying to understand consciousness as an objective reality, as matter. Basically, that's what largely goes on. And it's not. It requires, it's a different kind of, different process, a different type of knowledge for understanding that. This is what the scripture deals with, and the guru is the guardian of that, and, and, and so on. Hmm? So, if we say, well, I'm just going to, you know, give it out, and this, as you're talking about, I don't have a qualification or anything, I don't really understand its implications, um, um, and we, then it, it, it brings to mind the question, well, what's the, you, what, what's the need of you and in the first place, you know, why you, you know, uh, I might as well get it from, you know, from anybody. Get it uh, from a book, for example, from nobody. I don't have to have any uh, uh, authority or any, any in-between, between me and me and God. Hmm? And then, so, the other people say he has to be Uttamadakari. Hmm? What do they mean by that? We, we had a discussion here once before about the meaning of Uttamadakari. Uttamadakari really means who's best qualified to tread the path. The qualifications of that person is described by Rupa Goswami as Shastra Yukte, Shastra Nipuna, hmm? uh, who's a scriptural kind of uh, genius person. It means who has Ruchi hmm? and the knowledge of Bhakti. He says very clearly, with dry knowledge, you cannot understand Bhakti. With Ruchi, you can, excuse me, with Ruchi, you can understand Bhakti. So, from such qualified persons, then, 
um, we get the fruit. Now, I, let's see. Now I gave the example of the fruit, right? And the fruit has seeds. So that would imply um, a very developed devotee, the, ana- the analogy. Hmm? So, um, before that, I guess, with regard to, they say, it has to be a pure devotee, a Mahabhagwata, an Uttamadikari. Well, all these terms really need to be understood properly. Hmm? Uh, Uttamadikari, I've already explained, it's with regard to the eligibility for treading the path, and it implies some ruchi is there. Ruchi. Hmm? Mahabhagwata, let's take the term Mahabhagwata. Mahabhagwata means, uh, Jiva Goswami has explained in Bhaktisandarbha, three types of Mahabhagwatas. Hmm? Bhagavat Prapta Deha, Nirduta Kashai, uh, Muchita Kashai. Three types of Mahabhagwatas. You know it? So it means uh, one who has Bhagavat Prapta Deha, who has attained their, their body, their Siddha Deha, and is situated in it. Like Narada moving in the world with his Veena. Hmm? Then, he doesn't step on the ground. I haven't met too many of those, but lately, but that's the example given. Then, then there, this is one type of Mahabhagavata. Then there's another type, um, and that type is the, who's, who's, um, Example is of Sukadev Goswami. He or she has no connection with this world. And Sukadev Goswami was on the basis of his his he had no, no connection with this world and he had inclination for that side. Right? He heard Bhagavatam caused a revolution in him. I'll give Sridharmarsa's example of these. The first one I mentioned, it's got two feet in the spiritual world. Extends one here, sometimes. Someone like a Narada comes from there to here. It happens. They came with Gaur, Rup, Sanatan, Roy Ramananda, Swarup, Damodar. They came with, with Gaur himself. This is a rare occasion. The second one is one who's got one foot here and extended one foot there. Sugadev, the example, is given in Bhagavatam. One foot here, extended one foot there. He has no he, 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 no material desire, but he's not got two feet there yet, standing. Hmm? There's another type of Mahabhagavata. Then, third type, He's got two feet here. She has two feet here, and she's got her eyes fixed there. They don't go anywhere else. The example again is of Narada Muni, Jiva Goswami gives. When he was, he, he left home, burned his house, that was the funeral for his mother, burned everything along with it, herbed her demise, the whole house. He listened to the Bhaktivedantas, and then his mother died, and he thought, it's all true what they said. This world is temporary. And so he burned the house. He walked off into the forest, right? And there he was 
doing bhakti and he got the darshan of Krishna. And then Krishna disappeared. He called him a kuyogi, a false yogi, because he was attached to the forest. He wanted to be attached to him alone so that he could even leave the forest, for example, like Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur or Prabhupada who left Vrindavan forest to come to the Western world. Hmm? Uh, so this is the third type. Three types. Sridhar Maharaj called them three types of gurus, three types of Mahabhagavatas. So in the least, he has to have both eyes there. Hmm? It's like if you want to go to the sun, then... If you travel fast enough to the west, you will always be in the sun, right? You're not haven't arrived at the sun yet. Whether you ever will, that's another thing. <laughs> that's the nature of the whole path, right? Huh? I mean, there is a perfection in praying, and praying is full and complete, but ever increasing. Radha's love is full. She's the embodiment of the fullest praying, full and complete. But it's always increasing. So who's going westward fast enough? Always be in the sun. Hmm? That person's company can keep us out of the darkness. So Sridhar in this way, described three Mahabhagavatas. He said not three kinds of devotees, but three kinds of gurus. Hmm? And this is again a reference to Jiva Goswami's idea of three types of Mahabhagavatas. So this, this, uh, there is the Mahabhagavata idea, your devotee ideas, you know, whatever, same thing. Hmm? So when people say he has to be a Mahabhagavata or an Uttabhata Adhikari, what do they mean by that? What is their understanding of that? And what is their proof that their guru is that? So we are entering into a realm of subjectivity here to some extent. Which is okay. I mean, we live our lives based on subjectivity. The subjective experience that we exist is why we get up in the morning. We can't prove it objectively. So, so much for the need for objective knowledge and verification of everything. We wouldn't even breathe a breath, or if we. Really, and that's what happens. If you start questioning that you exist too much, and some people do, like Camus and others, you know, then they're not around to talk about it anymore. Hmm. See, I don't exist. See, well, yeah. and they and they commit suicide. So this is a suicidal approach to you know too much questioning. There are answers to the question of whether we exist or not. There are ways of confirming that, and it's subjective. You can know. You can't prove it to anyone else, but you can know it so well and feel it so well that they become convinced anyway. You must know too. I feel it. I'm going with that. I'm going with the feeling. What can I prove to you? How can I, if I say, I know Prabhupada's Swarup in Goloka Vrindavan, how can I prove it to you? I can say he said this, he talked about that, he indicated this, he indicated that, and so it doesn't prove it. We, uh, we published a book, uh, ourselves, myself and, the other, and with Prabhu's help, about Prabhupada's things he said about himself. Somebody said to me, well, that's not proof. I said, well, what do you want? <laughs> you know? You can't prove anything. Nothing can be proved. And what, you know, I mean, you can't prove that you exist. In a court of law, I said, what you do is, you know, what's what's what do they say? What's the term they have? Preponderance. Preponderance. Yeah. And there's another term I'm thinking of. 
like burden of proof. There's another one like beyond beyond reasonable doubt. A reasonable doubt. <laughs> it's beyond. You know, Prophet said, "I'm a coward boy," but beyond reasonable doubt that that's maybe what he was preoccupied with. Hmm? And there are other evidence. I mean, that's just. You know, I don't want to go into that, but at the moment, although it's an interesting topic, but yeah, you, I, it, I can't prove it to you. <laughs> but uh, some things are better not proved. <laughs> that's a, that's a problem. You know, your necessity to have things proved and so it, it, that are impossible. You can't prove that. You can't prove that God exists. I suppose. I mean, He could appear today, and people could say, "Well, I don't, I don't necessarily believe it." You know? Krishna could appear today and say, I'm God. Well, he did already. People said they didn't believe it. So, anyway, so so those who say that the Guru must be a Mahabhagavat, they're usually people who think that their Guru is a Mahabhagavat and that he's the only one. And so that, I think, is that those those people should be questioned as to what Mahabhagavat means and how do you know? But yours is such. And then when they start to give the proofs, just for the sake of argument, you take them apart. So it doesn't prove anything. Somebody could have done that because of this. Somebody could have done that because of that. And so he wrote a lot of books. A lot of people write books. You know. So, so you, you know, he, he got other people to chant. You know, well, so what? You know, you, you want I'll take you some. Take take it to India. Take it to Jagannath Puri. Go go see you in Jagannath Puri. Who's got the biggest group of chanters? I won't mention his name, but. Uh, but it's not any, nobody in this room or in, in any other Gaudi lineage who want to have anything to do with the person. Hmm? So, <laughs> so there's no. Um, it's a bit of a feeling, and we go with that. So, so there's an element of faith here. Faith is a way of knowing. Faith is not a way of like I don't know, so I'll just call play the faith card. Hmm? Faith means you don't have a doubt. You know, and how can you explain that you know? Hmm? Something that's beyond reason. As best you can, you make a reasonable presentation, but the way that other people will know is by the contagiousness of your own faith and your own subjective experience. Hmm? So, you want to say, and then people say, not, not only does he should he be, and he has to be a he by all these people, only... Uh, <laughs> only <laughs> Does he have to be a Mahabhagavata? You know, then they go, there are the, are the expletives, are they called? Uh, you know, he has to be a Nitya Siddha, you know, this one, that one. Can't be a Sadhana Siddha. So, so how are you going to prove that Prabhupada's a Nitya Siddha instead of a Sadhana Siddha? How are you going to prove that? And then, of course, the argument, which one is necessarily better? Is one, anyone, What did Prabhupada say about it? Siddha means Siddha. That's it. And so what did Prabhupada say about himself? My last life I was a doctor. I committed no sins. Therefore, in this life I was born in the Vaishnava family. He quoted, when I asked about what his position was, he quoted the scripture, Prabhupada said. He quoted Bhagavad Gita. Suchinam Srimatam Gehe Yoga Brashta. I was born in a family of transcendentalists, so this must be my position. So, you know, if you want to talk about it, we could talk. A lot of ways to think about it. I'm just saying, you know, this is this arguments to be made, and not to diminish, in any way. Let's say, let's let's glorify what the sadhana siddha. I mean, isn't that encouraging? You know, they, they're all so, there's so many sadhana siddhas, and suddenly they become nitya siddhas when they become, they become big, right? 
I knew him. He used to go to the market, you know, like everybody else. And now he's got a big following. Now he's he suddenly he was just came from Goloka, and you know he's there. He's he he's he has to be talking with Radharani and the Kunj, and then he talks to us, and that's how it works. This is such a poor understanding of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. It betrays such a lack of study of what the what the what it, how the whole thing works, what 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 stage one can even attain in this body. Sneha, Pranay, Rag, Anurag, Bab, Mahabhav, these are all stais. They can't be developed in the Sadakadeha. What about that? Hmm? They had to be developed in the Leela, from Swarup City. So, uh, So anyway, so I so I think we, a safe thing we 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 don't want to minimize addiction anyway, and we want to validate that it requires some spiritual realization. It's a sharing of faith, really. It's it's what the mantra means to me. Hmm? What it's done to me, I'm going to you know share that with you. It should do something similar. Is the idea? So it has to be doing something and something substantial. Does that help? Long. At, uh, at the beginning of your lecture, you emphasized Jiva Goswami's bringing out the significance of the Bhagavad. So my question is in regards to that 4,500-year period, because under Narada's toolage, Yasdev himself brought out the Bhagavad. So... What happened? Why that wasn't carried forward, even from the sages of Namasaranya who were listening to Sutta? Well, I guess that's yoga. <laughs> Time has its influence. That uh, that science may be lost to one extent or another. But another way to think about that is that is that in order to herald the, you know, and give the glory to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that is warranted, hmm, that such that all other shops of Vaishnavism should fold and, or, or should take their capital and, and connect it with his. If you have a little capital, then you connect with a bigger capitalist, then your spending power becomes greater. Together you can invest, and if you invest in a big way in something, then the earnings potentially are greater, right? Hmm? So there was a time. There is a time for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance in Kali Yuga, as the Yuga avatar, hmm? corresponding with you know the esoteric um, um, introspection of Krishna about the nature of love and so forth, hmm? and. Because that's the subject of the Bhagavatam, that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance takes birth in the in, in Srimad Bhagavatam in Raslila, Naparayam. This is where it takes place. So, uh, let there be in Kali Yuga, let there come up to the podium various speakers, and say something, like that. Like the big band is playing, and then there's another band that you know goes along with them and opens for them. Hmm? 
they're an up-and-coming band or something like that, right? They open for them, and then the, the main act comes on. So we look at it kind of like that. Even the Buddha, as we see as an avatar, has like has something to say, and and then Shankar, and then Ramanuja, Madhva, and so forth, and then Chaitanya Mahaprabhu bringing the whole thing out, uh, entirely emphasizing the Bhagavatam in a way that hasn't been previously. In Barka, there is some emphasis, and Balasambhava is some emphasis. Otherwise, uh, I'm not um, omniscient to know all the, what happened in 4,500 years. I, you know, I didn't read the history, and I don't think it's really uh, available, but it's, a, it's almost like the, the, the genius of Jiva Goswami is just like so incredible. It's when you read it, you think, yeah, why didn't this happen before? <laughs> this is so obvious, the way he presents it, that this should be the case, that everything should orbit around the Bhagavatam. You, you think, well... Uh, you know, why didn't anybody see this? It's just uh, like the nose on your on your face. Right, right, right. And they were instructed by Sutta Goswami about the Bhagavatam. Mm-hmm. And still, it's thought there's something in the Bhagavatam that Sutta Goswami missed, that Sutta Sukadev missed. That's what Rupa Goswami, Jiva Goswami are coming and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to give. That's the whole full reach. To bring that out. So something left for them, and for the sake of leaving something for them, I guess you could say the Bhagavad had to be left in the background a little bit, or had to recede a little bit to the background. Although, as you say, accurately, it was brought out right then, like, let's bring it right out. This is the heart of the whole thing. This is what the book says. Why didn't anybody catch it? Well, it's a tree. There's so much knowledge, so many branches, and people are approaching it with different desires, and and so on and so forth. And and the, the, these books are written in Kali Yuga, so a time of distraction and so forth. So it requires the avatar of the age, if you will, the, the exemplar of the Bhagavatam himself to come. It's like, like let's say something like this: You wrote the book. It's a great book, but nobody bought it. Nobody understood it for what it was. It's quite possible that you could write a great book and nobody would understand it for what it was. And later on, after you've passed away, other people find that book and go, man, this fellow really made a contribution. Look what he was saying. Hmm? It's incredible. So something like that. And that happens even in the secular world. Authors are discovered. They, 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 they gave the answers. Nobody understood them at the time. So with the with the time of the appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the time is right. Here is the he personifies the Bhagavatam. That's also part of the teaching, isn't it? Krishna's Kaviraj says, Bande Sri Krishna Chaitanya Nityananda Sahodito Gorodai Pushpavanto Chitro In commenting on that, explaining that, he says, There are two Bhagavatas. The Grantaras Srimad Bhagavatam and the book the person Bhagavatam who exemplifies the mellows of the Bhagavatam, the feeling of the Bhagavatam. And Gaurnatananda give the teach, give Prem through these two together. So, uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is really the full personification of the Bhagavatam. He's, the, he's Krishna in his Leela as an Acharya, teaching by example. So when you have both the book and the person, and that's one way to look at it. Of course, then there's the parampara, and they're saying you need the book. 
ongoing persons from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu onward and so forth. Something like that. It has its time. It's time to really uh, to manifest. It's there in the garden, but you didn't notice it. And suddenly, oh, here it is. Because someone's understood it and talking about it. All right, we've talked for a while, so let me stop there. Grantara Simad Bhagavatam ki jai, Purivashnav Guru Parampara ki jai, Pauru Pakta Vrinda ki jai, Premanande Bolo.